Well, we're back again in God's presence. You're here probably because you had nothing better to do with your life. Seriously, right? No better place to be. And uh, I see some of you doing this to try to look at me. You just thank God you can't see me. That's a gift for you tonight. Um, it is such a joy to be with you, and what a great thing to be able to, uh, to partner with you tonight in this time of prayer, and not only praying for others' needs intercessorily, but also to lift ourselves. How many have your own batch of problems? Do me a favor. Lean over to your neighbor. Just get right up in your grill with your finger. Right up and say, just tell him. Say, you have problems. Just tell him, all right? Because that's the beginning. People that don't recognize they have needs don't call on the Lord. So that's why we have each other to let us know. Um, I want to encourage you, if just real quick, um, I want to ask that at the end of the service, just, just, I mean, you can go out any door. I mean, it's open, but I'm just, these doors over here are for losers. If you leave out of this door, I'm just telling you, all right? But if you go out of this door, then you can walk right by our ministry table and grab one of our prayer cards and you will be a winner, all right? So, um, but if you'd remember us in prayer, um, like Pastor mentioned, we leave on Wednesday morning. We'll be going back to the nation of Tanzania. We've been deeply invested there now for many years, um, involved with an Assemblies of God ministry called World Serve, which is kind of one of those undercover you know, missions things where we can't tell you what we do or else we have to kill you kind of a thing. But is this, is this recorded or anything or? Okay. All right. So it's, it's fine, but it's one of the kind of the, one of the ways they get into cultures that, um, that can't hear the gospel through normal channels. And though Tanzania is an open secular state, there's a lot of unreached people groups. The main one we've been targeting now for the last several years are the Datog, D-A-T-O-O-G-A. They're the cousins of the Maasai. You ever seen the Maasai? They're extremely regal and just, I mean, majestic people, just incredible. And um, the Maasai have had a tremendous revival. Um, the Assemblies of God sent their first missionaries to the Maasai in 1918, so four years after their founding, and had very little uh, effect and very small amounts of converts here and there until the 70s when God sent a sweeping revival, and now a little over half of all the Maasai are spirit-filled Christians. I mean, it's amazing what God has done there. But um, the... The Datog are the blood-sworn enemy of the Maasai, and they have been resistant to the gospel. And until nine years ago, missiologists have said that there were zero known Datog Christians, a number between 350,000 and 500,000 people. Every year, the census is up and down crazy because they hide from the census takers because they don't like them. But they've been very resistant, even violent towards the gospel. It's very kind of a cultic environment. But God opened up a supernatural door uh, with WorldServe and some other uh, partners like Joyce Meyer Ministries helping us as well build schools there. But God's opened up some, a lot of pieces have come together and there is a move of God hitting the Datogue. In the last few years, 35,000 of them have come to Christ. So you get, I mean, just in a short history of the world, zero known. Uh, might have been a few stragglers that nobody knows about, but then all of a sudden, in just a period of a few years, 35,000 of them come to Christ. So we're going to be going there. Um, WorldServe drills deep water wells in the desert. The Tanzanian government has squished them way out onto a dried-out salt lake because they're migratory and they don't have any concept of land ownership. So the Tanzanian government keeps on pushing them way out. So they're in this area called Lake Yasi, which is a dried-out salt lake, and there's no clean water. The mortality rate of their kids is... 50% of the children die by age five. So you get an idea of what's happening there. And so the last few wells that we've drilled there, when I say well, it's not like a little well with a hand pump. It's a big village water system, solar panels, tanks, 
purification systems, 30 taps. I mean, it, it, it supplies tens of thousands of people with water. And the last few ones we've done have been 22 and 2300 feet down, to give you an idea of the depth before you get through all the salt. And it's major stuff, but we're going to be going there. And I want to just show you, the last time we were there in December, I was dedicating this well. And um, if you can cue up that video. And I want you to see, it's like 40 seconds long. I asked the people, this were, um, if you can just pause it just for a second real quick. There, there were um, 400 people here. You can't see them all, but 400 people that were um, there. They represented um, about 40,000 people uh, all around that area, mostly to Togue. There were some Hutsabi too, which are kind of like African gypsies. And, but I asked the people there that had come together for this big ceremony of dedicating the first fresh water supply they'd ever had consistently outside of rainy season and said, how many of you have ever heard the name Jesus before? And over this 400 leaders all gathered around this big baobab tree. I know pastors been around those scratching. They're talking back and forth. And the response, finally, one man raises his hand and everyone quiets down. He's a, an elder. And he says, I believe I have heard of such a man. On the other side of the mountain, he herds goats about 25 kilometers away. <laughs> Never heard the name Jesus. So I want you to see what happened. I thought, well, shoot, I, you know, I thought there were some Christians there. And, uh, but, so I just gave an altar call. I want you to see what happened. Go ahead and play that real fast. And the only way to find peace with God, peace inside, is to ask God to forgive us. If you would like peace inside, like we've been talking about, and you'd like me to pray with you to receive this peace inside. Wave your hand at me. We will pray together. Amen. And as we pray, we are going to humble ourselves before the God who made heaven and earth. You get an idea. There was, you can't see because little pastor's camera iPhone video there, but even the Muslim cleric there, see him raising his hand. And uh, interesting, so we weren't, the Tanzanian Assemblies of God wasn't planning on planting a church there yet because the bishop there, Barnabas Mtulkambali, a great man, but he's very structured and very ordered. And so this was kind of like an unintended pregnancy church plant. So we had to call him and had to get helicopter fare to get a, a church planter to, there the next day to conserve the harvest. And so, but it's amazing. Please, that's where we're going to be. Please pray for us, if you would, these next uh, next few days. And so we're bringing some pastors from the United States as well that are that their church has caught the vision and they want to do one of these big, massive projects all around this Lake Iasi area. So as the Datogue migrate, they're always around water and then that opens the door. They give us permission to plant at least four churches with every well. And then after two years, then Joyce Meyer, after things been, has been sustained, Joyce Meyer comes in and builds an elementary school because there's no schools, there's no education. And so it's, and then the, the, the deal with the, ed, with the school is that the, front, the contract is for the life of the school, the teachers have to be certified with the Tanzanian Assemblies of God. So it institutionalizes the church. It's very, very cool. So pray for us. Um, one other thing, super duper fast. There's uh, books and materials back there. There'll be a blessing. I had someone ask me about this one tonight, this yellow one called Helping Others Receive the Gift. Actually, Randy Hurst and I did that together, Pastor. Um, but this is a book about how to pray for other people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
A lot of people think you have to have some kind of special gift or whatever, but this is really, really helpful. There's even a chapter in here on how to do a baptism in the spirit Bible study group at your school or at your home or whatever. Really helpful stuff. There's some DVDs back there if you need your prayer life blown up. This one called Realms of Prayer is the strongest teaching on prayer the Lord's ever given us, and it really helps people, especially that are more analytical, kind of enter in and enjoy prayer and stop worrying about all the fine print so much. Really helpful. Here's our newest one called Becoming a Conduit of Healing, if you want God to use you in healing. And then there's some CD teaching stuff back there as well. This one's on Word of Knowledge and Discerning of Spirits. A lot of people have questions about the revelatory gifts. So that's all that stuff is back there. So remember, all the cool people go through these doors, all right? And all the questionable ones go out of these. Are we clear? Okay. So um, why don't you, uh, I'm going to, you know, we, we can read the scripture sitting down. Can you all see the screens? I think if we stand up, we might lose some visibility. We're going to read together um, a few portions of scripture. And um, I want to, if we can, um, as we look at these scriptures and read them together, the first part we're going to read is Jesus commissioning the 12 original disciples. Remember what a commission is. The root word is mission or job, task. The prefix is co. That's God asking us to join his mission. Jesus is the commissioner. He's got the red phone under the plate glass. Remember the Batman TV show from the 60s? And uh, just date myself. But um, that he's the commissioner. He's asking us to join his mission. And in the ministry of Jesus, we know of three times he asked groups of people to join his mission. Two of them were before he went to the cross and rose again from the dead. And the final one, then the great commission is after he rose again from the dead. So it's kind of fully fulfilled rules now. Up to that point, it was kind of limited. So first he commissioned the 12 original disciples. He gave them both power and authority. That's power, the ability, and authority, the right, right, to do these things. And then 70 others in Luke 10, in addition to them. And then finally, after he rose again from the dead, he commissioned all of us. But the Great Commission has a contingency on it. We have to first receive the power of the Holy Spirit, as we'll see. So let's read this together. And if you can read big and bold right where you're sitting. You ready to go? And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Commissioning number two now. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, 
but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. Now the third commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Then the epilogue from the second ending of Mark. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirm the word by the signs that followed. Before you read the next two slides, or last two, a lot of people don't see the Great Commission, that is Jesus inviting all of us now in this New Testament era to join his task. A lot of people don't see the Great Commission in Luke, but it is probably more precise in Luke, to me at least, than any other gospel. This is after the resurrection of Jesus and um, after some of this Emmaus Road kind of stuff, remember that? So this is what he's telling them, you ready? And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Now, this is extraordinary to me because the first time Jesus commissioned people, the 12 original disciples, we were still kind of under that Old Testament time zone where the heart and affection of God is at that stage. It's not like he changed his mind. It's just in that plan, a part of development. It was really primarily to the heart of Israel at that time, right? And God still loves Israel, but that was the main, uh, that was the apple of God's eyes. So we talked this morning about even up to that point in the Bible when the Holy Spirit would come upon people and they would have an encounter and they would have some kind of confirming experience to know that God was really gonna speak through them and really empower them. They would speak in their known language that would help them to say in my context, this is where I'm going to be. And you may notice some of, the, some of the limiting terms in the commissioning of the 12, and then in Luke 10, the 70 or 72, the mistranslation, but if you get the 70 there. And so you find that in those, in those groups of people, again, he'll say things like this, go only to the lost sheep of Israel, stay in one house, bring this with you, don't bring this with you. If they accept, do that. You know what I'm talking about? You remember those scriptures? Israel, 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 which is, again, it's a priority for the Lord, but now Jesus is the savior of the whole world, right? And so now, after Jesus rises again from the dead, all of a sudden, you hear words from the Great Commission. Go where? All the world. Preach the gospel to who? Everybody. When's the day of salvation? Today. 
It's not this limited thing. It's anyone, anywhere, anytime. But did you notice, would you put it the last scripture slide there, please? The, this Luke slide, check this out. He says, hey, you're, he tells them what's gonna happen. The gospel of the kingdom is gonna be preached. It's gonna start here in Jerusalem and it's gonna go around the world. Here it is in a nutshell, forgiveness of sins for those who repent. You are witnesses of these things because he's talking to those believers. And now I will send the spirit just as my father promised, but you don't go anywhere you stay here in this city until you've been clothed in the Spirit's power. The Great Commission is contingent upon a greater reliance and reception of the Holy Spirit power in our lives because it's so much bigger. If we needed the power of the Spirit to do the commissioning of the 70 and of the 12 and any Old Testament stuff, how much more now do we need now that the heart of God has fully been revealed to us for the whole world, that God wants to pour His Spirit out on all flesh? We need the Holy Spirit, don't we? So when you look at those commissionings, did you notice they're all pretty much the same thing? I mean, there's, you know, different wording about it, but you'll probably notice there are at least three main similarities in the commissioning. Um, like I asked you this morning, what's the number one thing the Holy Spirit empowers people to do? Remember? To communicate, right? To communicate. He wants to speak. The normal way that people hear the gospel is somehow or another through a human agent, a human messenger. It's witnessing, preaching, teaching, tracks, internet, books, radio, you know, whatever it might be, uh, graffiti. Got trust Jesus thing on the bridges, let just no one to the Lord. But um, the, it, it's through a human messenger. That's the 99 percentile or whatever high percentage you want to make up. But there is that exceptional spot where God does some things like Acts 9, where God appears, um, knocks Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus to the ground, scales in his eyes, bright light, audible voice. God does those things. And we hear those reports all the time from the Muslim world. Matter of fact, last time uh, we were in Indonesia, um, we met a couple, my brother-in-law who's a missionary there, introduced us to a couple that uh, had a vision of Jesus in the early 70s. And they were animists, had a vision of Jesus out of the blue. They were crying out to the moon at night and had a vision of Jesus. And they began to worship him, having his name and knowing he was God and began to forsake all other gods. Well, that's pretty good, huh? I mean, God can do anything he wants, but that's more exceptional. The usual way is that he uses a human messenger. So you'll notice that in areas of similarity in the commissioning of the 12, the 70, the Great Commission, the priority is always on power to speak, power to speak. Turn to your neighbor and say, God wants your mouth, even though your breath is questionable. Just add that part there, all right? So he, wa he wants to speak through us. And so this is, why, this is why you find all through the Bible, as the Holy Spirit moves upon people, nine times out of ten, they're going to say something. They're going to say something. Because even if you get raised from the dead, if you don't profess faith in Christ, you're just going to die a second time, and that one's going to stick. But if you've heard the gospel and have repented and responded, though you, live, though you die, you're going to live again, right? So it's the only thing that can translate us. It's not like higher anointing. I hear people go, it's higher anointing for resurrections, higher anointing for creative miracles. No, it's the gospel. That's where the highest level of the power of the Holy Spirit is centered at. And we'd be good to remember that. Um, what else did you notice? What was the second most prominent thing you noticed in the commissionings? What was it? Authority over what? You remember? Demons, that's one. Okay, so hit me the next one. I just, it doesn't matter the order. But healing, that's in all of them. And then power over demons, which is the Greek word for house cat, right? And so you have... You have... Um, do you see with, and, and there's some other things in there, but these are really the big three. And really the first one is the main deal. And the second two though, are the, within the scope of every human experience. Uh, I know in America, we don't have demons anymore, right? We've got all them out. We called the Orkin man and got rid of those, right? 
Is that the way that works? No, they just, they hide differently. Um, but power everybody, if you have a human body, how many of you have a body? Kind of a trick question, because you can't do that if you don't. But if you have a body, something's going to go wrong with it from time to time. I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, and, but it's just kind of the part about living in a cursed world with free radicals and Twinkies and all those kinds of things. It happens, right? So it's within the scope of every human ex- experience to need healing, to need healing. And so, and we'll pray about that in just a moment. But then also power over demons. We know the enemy is roaming to and fro like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I mean, he's, whether you're lost or born again, the enemy's trying to bring us down, not to stir paranoia, but that's his job. He wants to tear us away from the heart of God, which he can't do. You know, the enemy only has as much authority as we yield to him to have. That's always really important. If you ever feel overwhelmed, remember, he only has as much power as, as he fears you into. But um, you see, in the commissionings, all this power is there. Within the scope of every major human need, he's given us both power, the ability, and the right or the authority to get it done. People like us, ordinary people that don't know what we're doing. Have you ever looked at somebody maybe that you've looked to in respect and you know they really know the ways of the things of God and really know the ways of the Spirit, and you just kind of wonder... You know, oh, I bet they've been beamed up to the mothership and seen visions of Jesus and Elvis and whatever. And, you know, wow, I, you know, but I'm just kind of like, like a lot of people think all the people in the church were all like AAA batteries. And if we get together and join our hand terminals in a kumbaya circle, we can generate enough healing virtue to, you know, zap a, a sneeze out of a flea or something like that. But boy, you get these, you know, guys, man, if they have their own prayer tower, that's always a higher level of anointing. And, um, you get these guys, and man, they can just do, and I'm, not, I'm just being silly because I do respect these great men and women of God, but, but we kind of think, us, we have little voltage, these mighty, you know, bazooka-wielding, you know, gifted people, they have all this power. It's the same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit. Maybe a different way that God does it, but the possibilities are exactly the same. Possibilities are exactly the same. So the reason why I wanted you to see this is how many of think for a moment, you may, it may not come to your mind right away, but maybe you've been, I don't know, in a grocery store or Walmart or something, and all of a sudden, driving, whatever, all of a sudden, just aware of God's presence out of the blue without any welcoming of it. You know what I'm talking about? That ever happened? Why do you think God does that? And we can only speculate, but I hope, hopefully this will kind of shape our thinking. Um, is it just because God wants you to know, oh, I really love you when you drive your Yugo? Is that, is that why, you know, or when you're, boy, I really want you to eat here, you know. Is, is he just affirming us? Once we're born again, the Holy Spirit's promptings and leadings are no longer primarily affirmational as an attaboy, good girl, I'm, I'm with you. It's good. It's always a, a subtext of hearing God, knowing that he's with us. But we learn from Scripture that the promptings, leadings, nudges of the Holy Spirit are most, most likely activational. I want you to do something. So what happens is, and this has happened in a lot of our churches over the years, we get so accustomed to the affirmation, oh, I'm here, my people, my people, I'm here with you, I love you, and he does, and that's real, but we don't do much outside the church. And so what happens is we kind of get the bunker, hunker, and the bunker mentality, and we can kind of do that as Christians too. We kind of get attached, we become pew potatoes and all that kind of stuff, and we kind of we get attached to... Uh, The Holy Spirit's benefit in my life is just so I can be more spiritual and love the Lord, which that does as a side effect, but the main feature is ministry. God has called every one of you into the ministry. You go, you don't know my story. 
you can't top Moses, stuttering murderer on the run on Egypt's most wanted every night. You know, I mean, you, I mean, you can't top the people, the stories in the Bible. I mean, uh, I had a gentleman that came up to me a little while ago, and he goes, well, I'd love God to use me, but, you know, I'd done some time, and I just don't think anybody will, you know, take me seriously. And I opened up my Bible, and I just started going through Genesis, quickly flipped through, and I showed him 33 people that did time in the Bible, whether, whether because they deserved it or whether unrighteously, you know, were accused. Even Jesus spent, spent a night in jail, you know. And uh, no matter what we face, God's a great recycler, isn't he? He can take our junk and turn it into something beautiful and powerful. And instead of it being an enemy weapon used against us, instead it becomes a part of our trophy case of the things that God has redeemed us from and done great and mighty things. Aren't you thankful for your trophy case, right? And so, so if you ever sense the presence of the Holy Spirit out of context... Think, what does he want me to do? Look around, who's glowing in the dark? And if nobody glows in the dark, you know, when I say glow in the dark, I mean, Lord, who do you want me to talk to? And if nobody stands out, guess what? In the Great Commission, it's anyone, anywhere, anytime. Pick somebody and start trying to talk to them, and God will help you because he wants to. It's, it's really not hard. A lot of people think that you always have to have this real big, you know, Las Vegas neon arrow over somebody's head or something like that to do it. But he's given us the power, that's the ability, and it will kick in usually right after you just about get to the brink of incontinence, all right? So what happens is God always calls us out of our comfort zone, and you go, ooh, I'm, I'm scared to death. And right when you get just a little bit of fearful, usually that's when the Holy Spirit kicks in to undergird you and help you. But most of these ministry events, we have to initiate, um, in the Bible, the, the, in the book of Acts particularly, it is most seldom that a specific Holy Spirit prompting initiated ministry. Most often, it's just the outcry of a needy person being responded to by someone that had the power. Hey, alms, alms, Acts 3, silver and gold have I none. I left my wallet on the donkey in the parking lot, right? But such as I have, I give unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I mean, Acts 8 has that, hey, Philip the deacon, run up alongside the chariot and bring the gospel to Ethiopia. God does those things. But most often, it's a response of someone that understands the commissioning, has received the power of the Holy Spirit, and is willing to try for the Lord. Willing to try. Willing to try. Okay, so let's look at this next one real fast. We're almost done here. I want to show you um, just just three, throw three things at you tonight that will help. If you've, you say, well, man, I was baptized in the Spirit back in 19, none of your business, when Noah got off the ark, and I remember. And, um, but, you know, really, other than the ability for me to pray in the Spirit and have it lift my own spiritual life, I've not really seen a lot of supernatural ministry released from my life like Jesus promised it would be. I've even had people say, well, maybe I got a defective baptism. You know, well, Jesus baptized you. You got the real thing. You just maybe need to read the instructions a little better, right? And, and try to open up the box. You know, if you break that seal, it's amazing what will come out. So we want to look real fast at three keys to unlock this. What I mean by that is it's not just enough to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You've got to put it to work. And a lot of people are afraid. They're afraid because of presumption. They're afraid, well, what if I step out and it's not God's leading? He's already, you are pre-anointed now when you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit for every ministry event you'll ever face. He's given you power and authority over the greatest areas of human need. And you don't have to know what you're doing. That's why we pray, right, to the one who does. So that feeling of helplessness is actually a pretty good thing because it really shows that we're centered and recognize our limitations and, and Christ's ability. So the first is that in each one of these commissionings, they obeyed and they did it a lot. They frequently obeyed. They went 
The 12 went. Jesus never told them how to heal the sick. He told them, listen, listen to this tall order. You think you got pressure at work? Heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead. You go, easy for you to say, Jesus, you know. But he never told them how. He didn't say, when you go to pray for somebody, you want to make sure you hit them with this part of your palm at 65 foot-pounds of torque, you know. Make sure you spray them down with WD-40 first, and then, you know. He didn't give them any techniques. He didn't give them any specific words to say, like incantations of a sorcerer, right? Because, I mean, it's all relationship. It's not script stuff. And so instead, he just told them to go. I'm going to be with you now in a way I wasn't before. Go. And you'll notice that they went. Luke 9, Luke 10, and then oh, the, the second ending of Mark there. The Lord worked with them. I love that. But the problem is, in, in our Western world context, we want to understand everything logically, right? So we say, well, how can I go if, and we create these syllogisms, how can I go if I don't know what I'm doing? You ever thought about that? Like maybe you've had this thing where you walk by that one cubicle at work and you always go, man, I just really need to talk to that person and one day I will, but I don't, God hasn't told me what to say yet. Or I need to pick up the phone, I need to call crazy Uncle Joe, but you know, I just don't know what to say. And so what we typically do is we do nothing. But that's not how any of this works. If you're always waiting for more revelation and not acting on what you have, you will not be a steward of the next things. So we've gotta become more activational on the bare minimums we have. Um, a lot of people think the Holy Spirit's voice is going to be loud and, and you know, you're going to get like a, an alert on your phone or something like that. But the Holy Spirit's leadings, remember, he prompts us. Like that word in Acts 2.4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit was giving them the utterance. They spoke, but the Holy Spirit gave them the utterance. That verb there in the Greek is apothengamai. It means um, getting data from outside of themselves, getting nudges. It's the, it's the same word that's used in the first century writing um, outside of the Bible. It's the word they would use to describe the actor in a prompter in a play when the actors forget their lines. To be or, or, and someone in the little window up here goes, Psst, not to be. They just give them just a nudge, right? And so what happens is we, can, we say, well, how can we obey if we don't know what we're doing? Well, we can do it because of the second one, sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Now, these scriptures are not from the commissionings. They're from the commissioner. The first two there are Luke 4. This is from the story and testimony and a great example of Jesus. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. I remember at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form to really show us how to do this thing right. And then Jesus afterwards led by the Spirit. That's the beginning of his ministry. And then bookending at the end of the ministry, Jesus said, same Holy Spirit that guided me all this way, he's going to guide you too. He's going to guide you too. He's going to not only be with you, he's going to be in you, and he's going to take what is mine and make it known to you. I mean, good night. Talk about key to the kingdom there. So we say, well, you know, I really feel like I need to talk to that person, that cubicle at work. I walk by there all the time. I just don't know what to say. What revelation do you have already? You need to talk to that person. So all you have to do is get your carcass over there and start talking to them. Hey, how are you doing? I walk by your desk all the time. How are you doing? And all you have to do is just, just as you're talking with them, just pay attention to the Holy Spirit. He wants to minister to them even more than you do. And if you just love that person, you'll find God will just lead you in the next step. Now, I want you real quickly, if you have your Bibles or your phone, turn to the book of Nahum real quick, the last chapter of Nahum. There's a story in there of two children 
that get lost in the woods on the way to the candy house. And you remember the story. What are their names? Hansel and Gretel. It's not in your Bible. Stop looking. I was just teasing. Um, but I hope it's so ridiculous that it's memorable to you, okay? This is not Bible, but it's just, just a metaphor, an example for us. Anybody remember what Hansel dropped in the trail to find his way back? Breadcrumbs. You know your Bible. Okay. No, I'm teasing. Um, but very often, a lot of people think the leading of the Holy Spirit is a detailed download with subpoints. Any type A's out there, you like it all, you know. Remember, in every transaction we have with God, it requires that we depend upon him every step of the way, which means we don't have full knowledge. Like even if you've ever seen someone really being used in revelatory gifts, words of knowledge, prophetic stuff like that, they only know the nuggets God gives them. They know nothing else. That's it. You only know enough to get the job done, not enough to satisfy your curiosity, right? So it's the same way. Every step, you're just, you know, I need to talk to that person. So you go up and talk to them, pick up that breadcrumb while you're talking to them. If you'll, seriously, if you'll just relax and slow down, the leading of the Holy Spirit comes really easy. If you get all tense and afraid and scared, um, then it kind of becomes difficult. But if you just relax, he wants to help you. And look for God's nudges right about here, right about calf high, instead of way up lofty written in flames in the sky. Just look for the next gentle thing that just pops into your heart. And just follow that. You can trust the gentle nudges of the Holy Spirit if you've got these two things down. You ready? If you love Jesus, how many love Jesus, all right? And how many of you just walk with him? You read your Bible and pray and, you know? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Jesus said, you can ask anything in my name and I'll surely give it to you. What I'm saying is a lot of Christians, they've been filled with the Spirit since, you know, way back when, and, but they've never, beyond, they're not able to trust those promptings because they still wrestle with this very elementary, like first-year Christian issue, is that prompting me or the Holy Spirit? If it's something in the commissionings, he's already told you to do it. There's no wrestling. I need to talk to them. Okay, well, that's in every commissioning, especially the Great Commission. So do it. He's already pre-anointed you. There's no win-lose there. He just should do it, you know? Well, I don't know if it's the timing. Today's the day of salvation. I mean, the Scripture removes all of our fears on that. Well, I should pray for them for healing, but what if God doesn't? Well, that's not our problem. That's not our issue. Our issue is obedience, not, not uh, end-game you know, warranty service or whatever. Our, our issue is delivery. That's where we're at, right? He's into warehousing, manufacturing, and warranty, and we're just in delivery. And so sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. So you pray for that person. You talk to that person at their desk, and then you just, you know, God will just give you something. Something will pop up. You just all of a sudden, you um, just gentle, uh, you know, their marriage. Hey, are you married? Yeah, yeah. What's, you, you know, I mean, you don't have to be a creeper. And there's a line in there you've got to be sensitive about. But you just, you'll find if you just ask leading questions and just talk with them a little bit, that God will start opening up a door. He'll start making a way. It's so easy. Um, this past week, in, uh, we were in, in Missouri, Osage Beach, which is kind of funny, a beach in Missouri. But um, beautiful, beautiful town, beautiful church. And as I was preaching, I walked right over here in their sanctuary. And as I stood there, all of a sudden, my knees started going like electric shocks, which is a my knees don't normally do that, right? So I thought, well, maybe I locked my knee. I began to went through every natural process. Then I reminded myself, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I should ask God about this. And that's what I want to ask you to do. The next time you get some crazy prompting, even if you think it's only 1% chance it's God, would you at least pray about it and ask him? Because we usually rely on our own thinking processes rather than asking him. Just ask him. 
Holy Spirit, could this be you? Do you want me to do something about this? And so I just stopped and I said, okay, this is crazy and I'm willing to be a fool. But I, as I stand right here, um, I just feel like, actually it's more right about here, right in the second, between the first and second row. I said, I just feel this electric shocks in my knee. And this guy starts bawling. This guy, the lady here starts bawling. Sorry, it was a lady in that church. And uh, this guy here starts crying. This guy starts crying. Here, all four of them are facing knee replacement surgery in the next week. Well, what a coincidence, you know? I mean, but so we prayed, and, and I don't know all the full testimonies. The one guy was jumping up and down running. He had no meniscus at all on his one knee, and he's jumping up and down running afterwards. He's bawling his eyes out. Um, amazing. Matter of fact, then he got baptized in the Holy Spirit too. But, but it's amazing. You just follow those leadings. I know that was in a church, so it's kind of like a safe environment, but this stuff works everywhere because he's commissioned us everywhere. Sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. I want to show you real quick how to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Are you ready? Okay, it's real easy. Do anything spiritual, anything towards the Lord, just slow down for a minute and just draw near to God. You ready? Go. I love you, Lord Jesus. Just draw near to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's so interesting. It's not hard. You don't have to, you don't have to, you know, like paint half your body one color and half your body the other and, you know, put on a foam finger to heaven or something like that. All you have to do is just draw near to God. Just stop what you're doing and just rely on him. Don't, the, I have found in my life that whenever I'm in a hurry, I usually always miss the Holy Spirit. And when I'm in a hurry, it's usually because I feel uncomfortable about a circumstance and want to get it over with. That was a big breakthrough for us in healing early on in our ministry. The Lord laid on our heart, I'd heal a whole lot more people if you'd slow down and rely on me. But you want to get it done because you're so uncomfortable because you can't, you know, can't do it by yourself. Well, of course not. But um, if you just slow down and you find as you just slow down, not that you're going to take a protracted amount of time, but an unhurried way of just depending on the Lord saying, I can't even take the next step without you. And how can we do that? Because the last one, the results are God's responsibility. Again, we're not in manufacturing. I love this, Mark 16, 20. And the Lord worked with them. He confirmed the word with signs following. And if he worked with them, he'll work with you and I too. Even people like your neighbor. Not just with people like you that have it all together, but people like your neighbor. Yikes, right? Okay. So he wants to help us. So we, we again, we like to think logically. We say, well... There are two possible outcomes of any kind of supernatural ministry. So if I'm going to share my faith with someone, they will either get saved, or secondly, the second response is they will what? Remain lost or not get saved. I'm going to pray for them for healing. They will either get healed or they will not. Pray for them for deliverance from demons. They will either get rid of their house cat or they will retain them, right? So there's this, there's this um, we have this way of applying human logic to the things of the Spirit. Do you feel how wrong that is? Who has known the mind of the Lord or instructed him to be his counselor? Question number one, who has known the mind of the Lord? None of us. Question number two, who has instructed him to be his counselor? All of us. Lord, with my plan and your power, we're going to work this thing out. Have you pulled that with God, right? Because we want to figure things out. The Bible says inquiring minds. It's actually not in the Bible. But we want to try to figure things out. So 
we say, well, if I would go on next Tuesday at high noon, the sun would be right, the angles would be good, and you know, we try to figure all this out. Just go. Just go. Well, what if nothing happens? That doesn't belong to us. So in human logic, we say it will either happen or it won't. But in, in the, the biblical output matrix is like this. You take two of Paul's scriptures together. I love 1 Corinthians. Uh, take two of his scriptures together. Paul says this. You know these verses. I'll synergize them. He says, one plants, another waters, then comes harvest, but it's God who gives the increase. The results are God's responsibility. In the natural mind, it either happens or it doesn't, but in the supernatural, there are at least three potential outcomes, and maybe more with our divine God, plant, water, and harvest. We equate harvest only with success. But anytime you obey any level of the commissioning, you're planting, watering, harvesting. Obedience is success. That's what success is, obedience. So now think about this. Uh, you may not remember this, but if you remember when you, the moment you were born again, anybody remember when you gave your life to Jesus? If you were raised in church uh, as a kid, you probably gave your life to Jesus every service, and the first one stuck, but you just don't remember the date, and that's a normal experience. That's me too. But if you remember the definite time you gave your life to Jesus, how many remember that if that, that time you gave your life to Jesus, was that the first time you ever heard the gospel, ever heard there was a God like the Tatogue we saw on the screen? It could have been, but most likely there was some process involved in that, some planting, some watering, some harvesting. I know all the time when I pray with people for healing that um, if, I, if I'm getting ready to pray for them, I like to remind them, have you, have you ever talked to God about this? Oh, yeah. I've, man, I've had, you know... Uh, I've had this case of the mange for 25 years. That's terrible, you know? And so, well, how, have you had a lot of prayer? <coughs> Excuse me. Have you had a lot of prayer? Well, yes. Who's prayed for you? Well, we prayed. My family's prayed. The church has prayed. Oh, so we're standing on a lot of prayer equity already for this miracle. Because we think it either happens or it doesn't. Like people do that with spirit baptism. I go up front, I raise my hands, I begin to pray out loud, and it either happens or it doesn't. You either get baptized in the spirit or you go to jail, go directly to jail, do not collect $200, do it again next week. The moment you begin to open up to the Lord, you step into the process of receiving from him. And the water level keeps on rising. Some of you tonight, in just a moment, you've been praying to be filled with the spirit for decades. It's not that you've been failing, you've been receiving. And it's okay to take things slow. That's, that's not sinful. Um, it's just... We just always want to be on the upward progress on these things. Keep on planting, keep on watering, and, and God will bring fullness to us. But the same thing. Um, like two weeks ago in Lawton, Oklahoma, I prayed for a gentleman who uh, had paralysis and on his face and on the side of his body, stroke deficit. And, um, and I prayed for him, and I asked how long people had prayed for him. He goes, oh, nine years. He's talking out of kind of one side is kind of cooperating, the other side's not, you know, on his face. And his wife, oh, yeah, we prayed for nine years. And I said, well, great, we've got all that prayer equity behind. He wasn't healed that night because my prayer was just a little better or I knew what I'm doing because I don't. But he was healed because it was the plant water harvest cycle. I happened to be the, the component at that moment that God was flowing through for the harvest. Now, a lot of times my role is plant and water. But either way, if we're obeying, it's success. How many of you have unsaved loved ones? How many of you are unloved, saved ones? We always have some of those, too. Yeah. Um, I noticed the whole staff raised their hand. Um, no, I'm teasing. But, um, you know, if you have unsaved loved ones, it, you go, oh, God, please, Lord, you know, you got to. You know, and we, we're, we don't want to ever stop praying, 
But we also recognize that their salvation, their coming to Christ, especially in a long-term thing like that, very likely will not be one lightning bolt from heaven, though it could be exceptionally. Most often is consistent planting, watering, harvesting, and paying attention to the Holy Spirit, saying what he wants us to say, not saying what he doesn't want us to say, being salt and light in those moments. And so you see that process, the same stuff goes in all these other things. Obedience is the key. Obedience is the key. And so we're going to go to prayer here tonight in just a moment again. And, uh, and we're going to be doing two things. How many think the Holy Spirit can multitask? All right, he's good. And so we're going to be praying about a couple things. First of all, let me see here. Um, we're going to have in a moment, I'll call for you, but anybody that wants to be baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time, we had a whole boatload of people filled this morning. It was wonderful. Um, but anyone that wants to be baptized in the Spirit for the first time, or maybe you were filled years ago, you think you're not sure, you're pretty sure, but you just want to have that really reaffirmed in your life. That's always really important that people know that when they go out to do ministry, they know they have the power with them. And so if that's you, you want to be filled or refilled with the Holy Spirit, in a moment when we go to prayer, I want you to get out of your seats and come and touch your toes against the front edge of the platform all along the side here, okay? All front side to side. We have electrodes installed there. And when you, uh, no, but that's just a real easy way for myself and the pastors and the prayer partners. We'll know exactly how to pray for you without having to distract you, okay? And it's real easy. All you have to do is get near Jesus, lower your guard, unlock your door, tie up your watchdogs. Don't be afraid. Just draw near to the Lord and just follow his breadcrumbs and you'll get baptized in the Spirit. Really easy. But the rest of us all around this room, we're gonna pray for healing, all right? Um, Even... You know, no matter what the case is, you say, well, I just have mild something or other. Well, that's great. God heals mild things. He also heals major things, doesn't he? And I know a lot of people today, they go, well, I can't pray for somebody because I've got something wrong with me, you know? Um, and, you know, that, that's crazy. We, we're not praying out of our own reservoir. We're calling on the Lord. And every one of us has areas of brokenness that God flows in spite of. Doesn't he flow in spite of you, right?